Welcome back, motherfuckers. It's season two of Hardcasters. That's right. We haven't stopped. We're going to carry on until we're dead or until we run out of action films to talk about. And that's never going to happen. Ever. I am still, to this day, Dominic Duplum and sat still, unfortunately, in a very digital world uh, because we're not rid of this sodding pandemic yet, is my trusted partner. I'll let him introduce himself. Hello, it's Dick Fassage here. We're not only living in a pandemic, we basically, we Brexited, then we re-entered Europe via the back entry, then they kicked us out again, and now we're living on some sort of kind of escape from New York-esque island, fenced off from the world, where they're shipping zombie pandemic victims in. So, you know, it's, it's got a bit worse, hasn't it, really? It's like as if Frank Spencer had roller-skated into a pit of cannibals. Yeah. It's that kind of escalation of stuff, but yeah. to an end where he gets torn to shreds. It's yeah. basically what the UK's doing right now. Yeah, pretty much. But, yeah. you know, hopefully some poor fuck is still here to listen to this rambly honk of shit. <laughs> that's, yeah. That, that's the Guardian review, isn't it? I just, I saw the, I took, I took that verbatim from the Guardian review, a rambling honk of shit. The guard, <laughs> yes. two stars, yeah. the Guardian. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're going to kick off season two with a with a stone cold classic, not stone cold though. No, no, not that. We're saving that. It's we. It's not that we have done necessarily the buddy cop movie a disservice. We've talked about a couple of them, but we haven't gone to the arguably the um, seminal yes buddy cop movie, and that is Tango and Cash. That is Tango and Cash. Um, now there's there's a there's a whole lot to talk about, and. I, I, I think one of the big things to talk about, and I kind of want to get it out of the way because it's yep. very easy to get kind of caught up in this, mm. and that is uh, what some people refer as the homoerotic subtext. Yeah. But what I would say as the text, like what the film is about. Yeah, this absolutely. is not a buddy cop movie. This is a lover cop movie. This is. is about two police officers... <laughs> falling in love with each other. Yeah. But in a film that was made at a time where two gay characters probably wouldn't have flown in the box office because there's nothing subtle nope. about what is happening in this film. No. Nope. And I think it's also important to stress though that the word homoerotic just refers to a gay relationship. Hmm. And there's stuff in this movie that kind of like a bit of cross-dressing that isn't necessarily related to gay culture. So I think at risk of kind of lumping everything that isn't heterosexual as all gay that which isn't the case i think if you if you spoke to someone in the 80s like a movie exec in the yeah. 80s who who has an idea of what a kind of gay romance and gay culture represented this would very much be it it's it's very much through an 80s lens so it's not how thankfully a forward thinking culture like we are in now would see it it's how i think in the the, yeah. ma- the macho era of the 80s would see that kind of representation yeah, but it's very much positioned as there's the hyper-masculine and mm. there's everything else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in this movie. But the everything else is where things are really happening. Um, and I think it's fascinating because, like, so Sylvester Stallone plays Ray Tango. Yeah. And 
he doesn't have a love interest in this film at all. No, he doesn't. He doesn't he's oh, not oh. even mention one, does he? He doesn't even mention no. that there is one. He's very close with his sister. He's incredibly well-dressed. Yeah. And so I kind of see him as someone who's actually very comfortable in his sexuality. He's very conservative mm. with it. Now, equally, this is represented by he's got a very small, nickel-plated, snub-nosed gun. Little tiny gun. Little tiny gun. It's, 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 it's pretty to look at. It's smart. It does the job. It's not fancy. So he's just like getting on with his life. He does make a lot of jokes about marriage to mm. men. Yeah. There's a, there's a few times where he goes, oh, was that a proposal? And it's like, no, no, that wasn't. No one ever mentioned anything about marriage. Whereas Kurt Russell's character, Cash, is just a ball of raging male sexuality. Yeah. And he carries a large gun with a laser sight on top. He's like, no, no, I'm big, I'm bold, I don't care who knows it. Like the very first scene, he, he gets into a lift full of men and just takes his shirt off and then starts fingering bullets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah. And then as soon as these guys wind up in prison, and this is the bit that where it, 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 it for anyone even remotely reticent about getting in line with this the scene where they go into the shower and compare penis sizes and that 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 isn't subtext they actually literally stand and check each other's yeah. dicks out and talk about them it's like okay here we go and then you get right towards the end um, well i mean and there's bits like um kurt russell cross-dressing yeah. and then when he gets back to uh ray's sister's place he doesn't actually get out of those clothes no he, he opts to stay in them. Um, and then when Sylvester Sloan comes in and he's uh, immediately shocked because the, the, the Terry Hatcher, who plays yep. uh, Ray Tango's sister, is massaging uh, Kurt Russell. Mm. And the way it's framed when he comes home is it looks like she's on top of him having yep. sex. And so he's immediately shocked. But I don't think he's shocked about him having sex with his sister. I sh- think he's shocked about his sister having sex with his I, I very much watched it last night, and it, it felt very much to me like he's jealous of his yeah. sister with Kurt Russell. I thought originally it was like he's protective of his sister, but the way it's played out, he gets really annoyed and keeps questioning it. It's like, actually, is he jealous? It's really, yeah, it's yeah. really strange, actually, the way it comes across when you rewatch it. And then the last image, and I don't know if this struck you, but the last image of the two of them in that black and white newspaper is a wedding photo. It is, yeah. They're literally, they're, they're holding the same police yeah. badge up together like it's a ring. And there's a group of really charming policemen all kind of looking on like the bridesmaid smiling. It's wonderful. Therefore, what is essentially a film that's got Kurt Russell, Sylvester Stallone, Harold Faltermeyer score, Jack Palance... Brian James mauling an accent, masses of action. This is a film that still just manages to underwhelm because the two of them don't bang each other. Yeah. And it kind of, like, it's actually quite disappointing that it's only just skirted around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they should remake this film with, I don't know, whoever, and end of Act act 2, just a (laughs) full-on... Sweaty, sexy. But this is the other thing as well, and this is what interested me, is when I bought it on DVD fairly recently, the back cover of all the images from this action film you could find, Kurt Russell in drag is one of the three they used to market the film. And they use terms in it like hot, sweaty action. It's kind of played out, it's full of testosterone. But it's so full of testosterone, it teeters over that line between actually they're not action heroes they're now kind of figures of lust so it tips over slightly and i think that's where it stays on that very kind of fine line 
But I don't know about you. I, it kind of I think we'll dip into the, the subtext a little bit later on, and when we kind of unpick bits. But I didn't realise. I did a bit of research on this again. I didn't spend as much time as last action here on research because no, you know, no one has no <laughs> ever again. <laughs> um, but this was a tr- very troubled production, which really? I did. Yeah, which I didn't realise. It it seems to be that Stallone wanted a lot of control over this film. So I think it went through three directors. I think the director credited oh, really? walked out towards the end of the film um, mm. because there was a massive contradiction between tone. I think the director initially wanted it to be quite a dark, kind of gritty cop, buddy cop film. But so I think, he lost then? Oh, massively lost. <laughs> and I think the other battle was to kind of make it a spoofy kind of yeah. almost homage or send up of the buddy cop which actually when you watch it back it's got every single little Mm. nuance in there about buddy cops but also what you'd expect play by play what you'd expect to see in an action film um so but i didn't realize there's lots of kind of you know even like when you read the interview with brian james kind of did an interview later on when he said it was just an absolute mess every day on set no one knew what they were doing everyone seemed to be taking orders from someone else. But it actually surprised me because I didn't... It's not like Last Action Hero when I got the impression it was no. six films stitched together. It actually genuinely felt like a, a finished, accomplished film. Yeah. I think by by modern standards, you would argue there is some stuff that's very light and there is some stuff that is very violent. But then again, most 80s films were. I mean, even Kindergarten Cop goes from you know him chasing kids around to some quite severe violence at the beginning and end kind of thing. So there was always that kind of weird tonal stuff. So it kind of feels in keeping with that. I think it's the reason I kind of wanted to get that stuff about the subtext sort of out the way a little bit is because we're an action film podcast. And actually there's so much stuff in here that's just worth talking about from an action film point of view and from a kind of bizarre filmmaking point of view. Because there's some really funny stuff, there's some really bizarre stuff that I, I, I want to get, that you can often just overlook because you're talking about, you know, them comparing penis sizes. Yeah. Um, I mean, the plot itself is very, very paper thin. Essentially, <clears throat> initially, we, we, we meet Stallone in, in a desert chase and it transpires that there's two cops at either side of LA who are chomping away at Jack Palance's criminal empire. To the point where at the end of the opening act where we meet Stallone's character and he basically finds a a random truck full of drugs, Mm. um, which, again, we'll talk about the the villain driving that truck later on because I think he's worth coming back to. Yeah. Um, But essentially, Jack Plants randomly, in the middle of a desert, drives past the uh, crime scene in a limo. And this is where we get introduced to his kind of shady empire. I don't know why he's driving past the crime scene. It feels a bit stupid on his part. Hmm. But then he opens it by saying, Ray Tango, Gabriel Cash. And he basically introduces the whole plot <clears throat> that these are two cops chewing away his empire and he wants to take them down. So essentially he explains the plot in his opening kind of monologue. Doesn't He's he? very good at that. I like the fact he goes to the trouble of building a maze for now, rats. Can I talk about this? Because Please do. Right. I like the fact that, you know, he's he's clearly going for this metaphor when he's he says, you know, I'm gonna get these two. These are the these are my two Bane's in my life. I want to take yeah. them down, but I want to. I don't want to kill them. I want to destroy them. So basically, he's talking about a game of cat and mouse, a game of uh, rats in a trap. 
how does he bring this analogy to life? How does he kind of show this to the people watching? Yeah, he, well, uh, presumably he hires someone <laughs> to build a very large maze that he puts two rats into <laughs> to show to some bewildered people. Yeah, it's and almost then, it's almost like you don't need to show us that you've done this. Just tell us what you're going to do. Like this yeah, is you, you get it. spreading this analogy out quite a lot. Yeah, and then. I can only imagine, like, after he's done it, he just calls the bloke up, you can take this away now. Mm. He's like, was that it? I built that for that, literally, for that minute and a half. For that very obvious analogy that you've yeah. pointed out that you did not need. He might as well put a picture of, mm. a PowerPoint picture of Tango Cash when he's photoshopped their faces on two rats and yeah. said, rats in a cage, and then I put a little prison next to it. That's what he might as well have done. It would have saved time yeah. and effort. And while we're here as well, I just want to I just want to make this kind of plea to any wannabe criminal masterminds villains. If at any point you go, no, no, killing them is not enough. We have because that will make them martyrs. We have to destroy them first. Don't, yeah, because they that will never work. You have to kill them. You have to kill. That's them. how it works. Just shoot. Just shoot uh, them. It would have been easier. So yeah, I mean, Jack Palance is great in this. He's um, he's so. What I always find with Jack Palance, he's he's he just, he's a ridiculous. He's so over the top, and he plays the same kind of cackling, old, mm. almost dead-looking person. To the point when, as a kid, I used to think that he played Skeletor in Masters of the Universe. <laughs> I generally thought that was Jack Palance without very minimal makeup. Yeah. I think he looks like one of the faces off Mount Rushmore. Yep. He just looks like he's made out of a mountain. Mm. I, I'm very fond of... Um, well, so much to be fond of. I mean, the prison stuff's kind of weird. So, obviously, his plan is to frame them, put yep. them in prison. Yep. Um, and they escape from this huge super prison kind of thing. Um and I'll be, I'll, I think that's the weakest part of the film. That's yeah. the bit where it's kind of like, well, it's you either they're either in prison for the whole movie and it's lock up or death warrant, or you don't. They yeah. escape on the way and go on the run. Yeah. Um, and this is where we were greeted by our lorry driver, mm-hmm. Robert Zadar. Yeah, brilliant. Who probably most well known for playing the the maniac cop. Yeah. Um, and also most famous for. His jaw, which is enormous. His face just like, looks like a piece of just hammered steak. Just mm. a big slab of meat. He looks like a Dick Tracy villain. He does. Um, but beyond that, there's not really a lot going on in the prison stuff. It's when they get out and they go on the run that feel really... I think uh, it's supposed to be to bond them together. That, I always get the impression that it's, it's almost like to kind of stick mm. the glue together of the two, that they've gone through this together. But like you say, it, it's fairly... It's fairly kind of like, oh right, you just need to get out now and go on like on on a, on the on the run and adventure. Um, yeah, exactly. Because he doesn't do anything to. Yeah. And as we mentioned, we have Terry Hatcher as the sister, who, you know, as you'd imagine, isn't necessarily the most like Gina Gershon in Red Red Heat. It's not necessarily she's got a lot to do. She doesn't die like Gina Gershon, you know. She's, but it's um, you know. She's 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 good in it, which does. She's a stripper, obviously, but um, obviously this film is not necessarily interested in that. Um, she works at quite an elaborate club. I do love those kind of things. It's clubs and 
government computer-based things are always more elaborate than they are in real life. Absolutely. Like, anyone goes to a club in a film, it's this massive Las Vegas production rather than just some shitty bar. Yeah. And if you go to the FBI, it's not a bunch of people working on just bog-standard computers. It's like high-tech shit. Yeah. Um, and it's it's one of those kind of things. I think there's fans with lights behind them and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, I think we need to talk about Brian James as well. And so what accent is he doing in it? Every accent. There's a bit of... There's, I'm assuming he's, he's British, but he's Australian, there's Jamaican, there's, you know, there's some sort of uh, kind of ancient Aramaic in there. There's all sorts in there. He throws a lot there. Yeah. At one point, he starts speaking in a kind of like an ancient Lovecraftian language that threatens <laughs> to bring back Great Cthulhu. Um, he's... he's uh, yeah, it's bizarre. And again, I think, uh, you know... What you said with your in-depth research might suggest that he just thought, "Fuck it, I'm doing whatever uh, I want." Well, apparently he was. He, apparently, he was supposed to be very much just a henchman, and actually, right. they gave him more to do, which I think he's just like, "I don't know what I'm doing here." So I think it's a lot of it was improved or hammed up, and they just kept it in the film. Yeah. Well, good, good on him. I'm glad he he took a stand. Um, and then we get we you know the big finale goes insane. I'd like to hover over this, if I may. Go for it. Because, right, so basically, a, a, a part way through this, basically, they're, they're on the run, and they're, they're part of the most famous cops in LA, but they wander about everywhere. Kurt Russell goes into a club, wanders about, and then wanders into, basically, it seems he wanders back into the LAPD, mm. because he goes to, and apparently LAPD have a Q branch, <laughs> Yeah, which oh, I obviously. found absolutely like, hang on. So LAPD, which is uh, you know a law enforcement police, you know they've got an underground part that's a Q branch with their own Q, who designs the most pointless weaponry I've yeah. ever seen. There's um, there seems to be a man on a treadmill who's got lots of wires in him and like some sort of see-through jacket, which seems to serve no purpose. Yeah. There's kind of a gun turret mounted on like a spinny platform, and there's, which gets focused on a dog, that has a gun for a mouth, that doesn't look like a dog, and just explodes. It's like, hang on, the LAPD are <laughs> spending money on this shit. I, and what annoys me about that is like, you know, in a Bond film, you go to Q at the start, he lays out a bunch of gadgets, and every single one gets used. Why I want to see them use the explosive dog? <laughs> I want to see them use the man on the treadmill <laughs> some way. Um, yeah, but it, the, the guy who plays their Q uh, is uh, Michael J. Pollard. Yep, who's a very recognisable person and who obviously uh, Dolph Lundgren threatened to shoot his balls off in Dark Angel. Yep, um, often pops up in, in things like this, and he builds them a kind of well, it's a family car isn't it it's like a, a a space cruiser kind of it's like a batmobile he builds them a yeah. batmobile essentially he sticks a minigun on it and, yeah and what have you and they drive into a building site and it suddenly becomes like a mad max style yeah. thing um there's a I'm lot isn't sure... there there's a lot there's monster trucks there's june buggies and then there's just a car just firing rockets and just jack yeah. palance going go on get them yeah it's um it just goes bonkers. Yeah. And then 
you know, it's a fairly satisfying shootout at the end. Goes into fairly standard action fare. Everyone gets their comeuppance. And then uh, Stallone and Russell get married. Yep. Um, and it's all over. And a love song you... comes over the credits, doesn't it? Yeah. And well, so I think it's also in, worth mentioning that, that Harold Faltermeyer did the score. Yep, he did. It's no Axel F, but the main theme is pretty memorable and pretty good. Um, and most of the score, but the Kurt Russell theme sounds like it should be on a fag in the play in the back of a, like a merry-go-round or something. Yeah, yeah. It's just a bizarre children's TV jolly theme, which always kind of makes me think, they really okayed this? Yeah. Um, it's it's a bit odd. Um, but that's the thing, it is, it is this odd film. When it ends, you kind of think, I don't really know why any of that happened. Yeah. <laughs> or what the point was. Other than these two men clearly love each other. Yeah. And that gets unfulfilled. But more than that, there is still plenty of solid action. Yeah, it. it does. It's satisfied. I think actually you come away with it and ultimately you are satisfied. It's not like Last Action Hero where there's so much that you could see. And yeah. do you know what I also found out? So it wasn't meant to be Kurt Russell that teamed up Ooh. with Sylvester Stallone. Do you know who it who was? was the, who originally was it? Have a guess. Not not Schwarzenegger. Nope. Van Damme. Nope. Carl Weathers. Nope. Ned Beatty. No, it wasn't. It was uh, uh, Patrick Swayze. Really? Yeah, it was Patrick. Oh, I can see that. Yeah, which I think actually would work as well. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I've loved Kurt Russell. I mean, I think he's, yeah. his charisma in this... I mean, Stallone's great, but Stallone in this is a little bit... He kind of clearly plays it a little bit straight and he's kind of, you know, very much kind of going against his previous type when it's a bit, he's a bit yeah. rough and ready. And he's, like you said, he's very much the Armani suited, stockbroken, loving kind of bank. Yeah. He, he looks like a bank. He looks like a very 80s yuppie, whereas Kurt Russell, he's your kind of slob. Um, yeah. And here's, the th- here's the thing I, that I, I, I think about Stallone is that Stallone's great obviously but he's not always great at comedy no that's not means he can't sell a joke but generally if you look at something like demolition man if you look at something like um judge dread his buddy cop kind of chemistry just always results in him looking at someone and then shaking his head yeah or rolling his eyes yeah or saying something like wonderful as if that's going to make it like in this i'm sure during the end fight he during the end battle, he says subtle, real subtle, about four times. Yeah. Whereas Kurt Russell's got chemistry, and you think if that was set against someone who could bat the ball back and forth rather than just Kurt Russell do something and Stallone just roll his eyes and go, fantastic, you know, there could be a bit more energy there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, you know, it is still one of the top buddy cop movies simply because of how... How big it is, yeah, you know? Absolutely, I think. Not, not. What well, just, just before we we move on, what, what other buddy? I mean, we you know we might have talked about this before. We might do. What other buddy cop movies do you think top the list? Well, obviously, Lethal Weapon. Or, or uh, not? They don't have to be cops. Buddy movies. All right, so Lethal Weapon is obviously up there because yeah. it's sheer kind of. That's what you think of when mm. you think of buddy cop. I always think. It's a difficult one because I've got a few little favourites that I don't think necessarily people would think of. I love Stakeout 
Emilio Estevez mm. and and um, yeah, Richard Dreyfuss is is yeah. amazing. I love I love that film. I think it's such a great buddy cop film. But I also think Beverly Hills Cop is a buddy cop film. He's just yeah. he's buddied with two people instead of just one. Last uh, Boy Scout. Last Boy Scout. Yeah, obviously. Now the one I always go to, and it's one that I think I genuinely think most people would agree on. That often gets overlooked is Midnight Run. Yes, yes, Midnight Run. Which is a stone cold classic buddy movie. Unironically, it's not like, you know, it's not even spoofable, it's just gold. What would you say? And obviously, we'll kind of unpick this when we pitch our, because we are going to pitch a buddy cop film. Don't you worry about about that. What do you think, if you were to make uh, an omelette, an action film omelette, what would be your, your buddy cop? omelette what would your kind of ingredients be that you chuck in there so obviously they've got to be opposed to each yeah, other yeah yeah and i think obviously lethal weapons set up the idea of stability versus instability mm. and i don't necessarily and sort of tango and cash tries to do on that there's either odd couple kind of tidiness and gross i don't necessarily because last boy scout both characters are fucked up yeah um, and as long as they are fundamentally different personalities, their social backgrounds or whatever don't necessarily have to be the same. Yeah. It puts more weight on the performers. But it helps. Mm. If there's an ideology or if there's a background, that's just like a, a fast track. Um, I think you need a villain that both characters can go up against. Yeah. Because as great as Lethal Weapon is... Murtaugh doesn't get shit to do at the end. No. He just sits and watches. Yeah. Just... You know, he becomes ringside. And you kind of think, well, actually, you need another person there. Or, you, or like Lethal Weapon 4, you need them to both take on Jet Li. Yeah. And I know Lethal Weapon 4 gets a load of shit. That finale is fucking Great. amazing. Absolutely. It's just super, so good. Superb. Otherwise, just... you just got to keep them butting up against each yeah. other. I think that's but it. But succeeding. Yeah. And that's, you know... The, the challenges have they, the challenges have got to not be solvable by either one method. The challenges have got to become solvable by them both working together. And I know that's I've just explained what a buddy cop movie is rather than say specific things. But if you get that right, I think you know. I think you need uh, you need a motif. So you need a score as well. So you need someone yeah. who is very has got a score for each of them. So like Tango and Cash, mm-hmm. like. Like the old Kurt Russell, like it's almost like you know it doesn't quite work. But I think with Lethal Weapon, what you've got actually they've got their own signature, and you you recognise it as soon as on screen, which completely works. Yeah, I think different instruments. Yeah, you know, bass, guitar, kazoo, that kind of thing that come together. Yeah. What what I think lazy buddy cop movies do is just have two people shouting at each other. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that that's funny. It's like there's got to be more to it than that. Do you think you need a decent police captain as well? Because we didn't talk about the police captain in Tango and Cash. I know no, that, because he's. I know there's yeah. two, but it's um, Jeffrey Lewis, isn't it? Yes. Who we've talked yeah, about before. Both captains seem to get on with the cops, which is yeah. unusual. So I think you need a good captain. Yeah, Joe Pantaleono in uh, ben- Pantaleano, jo- Joey Pants in Bad Boys. Yeah, is one of the better things in the Bad Boys franchise yeah um the lethal weapon yeah, captain. captain lethal weapon captain as well yeah absolutely um and beverly hills cop as well obviously i think you've got kind of two captains there you've got the kind of 
you know, mm. shouty Detroit one. But then you've also got Tagu, I think, kind of almost acts as that captain figure as well, doesn't he? On the road, bit, yeah. 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 So I think you need that kind of a shouty but also quite charismatic authority figure that kind of gets in between them a little bit as well. Yeah. And then uh, an annoying informant to beat up. Well, and that's that's the first point they agree. They can agree on most things, but they both agree that kicking the shit out of this little guy yeah. is fun. So we need two people from different backgrounds. They need to be opposed and butt up against each other. We need a um, a decent captain, a decent villain, decent motif, and some sort of shitbag who they can kind of just boot around all the time. And that's going to take us nice onto our pitch. But before we do, before we do, we've got the small matter of Tango and Cash merchandise. Small. never existed. Small matter. I think it's a huge matter. Yeah. Now, I was thinking about this. And obviously, obviously, who wouldn't want a Tango and Cash toy line? Right? That's, that's obvious. Yeah. But I think we get bogged down in toy lines quite a lot. Um, so I was thinking a bit different. I was thinking about the name Tango and Cash and thinking, you know, if the Hardcasters brand, and we are a brand more than the podcast, um, was to expand, we could open a pub called the Tango and Cash. Oh, nice. And I like the idea that you walk in a door and the pub much like Two-Face, has very two distinct parts. One yeah. half of it is a dive biker bar. Yeah. And the other half is an up, up sort of upmarket cocktail bar. Mm-hmm. In the centre is a bar on one side serves beer and stuff and the other side cocktails. And at the end is a stage that straddles both sides that does cabaret. The massive fan? Massive fan and also drag acts. I think it's full on... Mardi Gras, Pride, yeah. Cabaret Act. Massively, yeah. Um, and I think that sums up the film Yeah, um, more than a toy line could. And I think that's the best use of the Tango and Cash license. I think you're right. I think you're right. Because I think a video game, who do you pick, Tango or Cash? You need both. And you can't control both. Unless that's the, the whole purpose of the game. You have to control both characters at once. And that's why they keep clashing. Because yeah. <laughs> the, the left thumb pad controls Tango and yeah. the buttons control Cash. And the left trigger, that's actually quite a good game. A bit like Octodad, but with Kurt Russell. Yeah, versus. amazing. Yeah, yeah. Already kind of defined and bottled down the um, buddy cop movie formula. Yep. Okay, which tick along at home as we go. Let's pitch the ultimate buddy cop movie. Yep. And as you rightly pointed out just moments before we went and started recording this, rather than come up with a plot or a title, probably the best thing to do is start with a character. Yeah. And then introduce a character that is their direct opposite. Absolutely. Um. So go ahead. I have not heard your. You're going to come up with the the the, the 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 first character. So here, so think of it like the pub. So my side. Yeah. Yep. I've got one side, so I'm gonna I'm gonna lay out the, the the kind of interior of my side, and then yeah, 
see how you could build across that. So, my character is quintessentially... I'm taken into a Midsummer Murders village in England, but a ridiculously okay. Hollywood version of England where there's, there's a post office, a pub, and a stately home. Um, and this cop lives basically this kind of massive, massive palatial kind of or, uh, almost ornate home. He drives like a 1920s Mr. Toad car that just kind of pulls yeah. along like by poop poop car kind of car ridiculously ornate it jigs up and down yeah he's got he wears plus fours he looks like mr toad basically um and um essentially something happens in this village that would transport him to another location to i.e meet the opposite mm. so um he's uh he, he kind of he starts off and it's kind of pans across a polo lounge and he's kind of sat there um, making notes. He's basically ticking off someone who's basically uh, cheated at croquet and he's mm. giving him a good old talking to. Um, and he, But he still wears guns. The only thing that's kind of, to Americanise it, he's got two guns um, mm. either side of his kind of plus four braces, um, which I think are made of brass. They look a bit kind of ornate. And he is called... Montgomery Ponce. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like him. I like him. So he's going to go to a place that not only... So he becomes fish out of water. Yeah. As well as the buddy cop. Now, obviously... Do you want the actor as well? With the actor? Oh, please, please, please go. So again, initially, and listening back to season one, I think we've overused him. But initially, my first idea was Derek Jacoby. But I'm not going to use Jacoby because I think we over-egged him and overused him. Yeah. I'm going to go with Tom Baker. Oh, I like that. What, uh, is this kind of 80s? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So very kind uh, of, still got grey hair, but very red-faced, very kind of full, boomy voice, yeah. Tom Baker. So here's the thing. I've got, I've got the obvious yeah. answer, which would be he goes to either sort of the south of the US. Yeah big Texan guy we'll, yeah. we'll just cast a generic action hero or New York but then we go into the same kind of characters would it be teaming up with Steven Seagal whatever so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw caution to the wind here mm. and go to what I said in that yes although methodology and ideology might be different mm. I just want to get someone very different even if that is unconventional of the genre yeah so I'm going to take him to Australia. Ooh. To the outback. Right. Where it's desolation. Yeah. Almost Mad Max level of of uh, of, the, of what have you. And a corrupt cop who's looking after one kind of dust ball town in deep outback Australia. Brilliant. Um, and he's, you know, his car's just covered in dust and it's completely unprofessional without wanting to dip into stereotypes you know they're cooking food like in the police precinct they're walking around without their shirts off and like the crooks are all basically thugs and barbarians yeah um and he is played by barry humphreys (laughs) (laughs) yes so just an absolute slob of a human being brilliant who who has never had to get up 
and even put on a shirt. He's got a pair of shorts, mm. big, big shorts. That they're, they're somehow really small in that they come up above the knee, but really big and wide. Um, almost like someone's cut jodpers off at the yeah, knees. Um, he's got a police shirt that you suspect the colour it is now is not the colour it was when it was new. Yeah. So it's probably yellowing, um, and it's kind of half untucked, and one collar's up and one's down, and then underneath there's the sense of either a vest or a string vest that's yellow. Yeah. He's got just a hat, and he's just constantly dripping wet with sweat. (laughs) Yeah. He's almost the southern sheriff. Yeah. Um... But Southern sheriffs at least live in civilization. This guy, you know, gets up. He lives in like a shack made of corrugated metal. Yeah. Um, Can we meet him? And he's sat in a huge paddling pool, just co- surrounded by cans of lager, and he's just kind of yeah. drinking them one after the other. And he's he's eating dog food, even though it's not the apocalypse. Yeah. Absolutely. He, he, like he tips half it out for a dog, yeah. which is a ratty-looking thing, <laughs> and then he just eats the rest of it himself. Um, there's a there's a woman just walking around topless in the background with flip flops. No, there's about the, there's four of them. Four it's of literally them, yeah. just four women, just completely. But top. they also they they work at the police department. Yeah, oh, yeah. They're, they're officers. Yeah. Um, he's just a really sleazy, disgusting human being. And he's called <laughs> Charleston Sleaze. <laughs> Brilliant, brilliant. Now, Sleaze and Ponce doesn't necessarily have... That's the thing, that, that doesn't quite have the ring to it. What about Douglas Rust? Rust and, Rust and Ponce. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Doug Rust. <laughs> D- Dougie Rust. <laughs> Dougie Rust. There we go. Dougie Rust. And uh, what was Ponce's first name? Uh, Montgomery Ponce. Montgomery Ponce. And Dougie Rust. So... That's kind of plot backwards, so we need... Can it be Douglas Dougie Bucket? Yeah, absolutely. Dougie Bucket. Okay. Ponce and Bucket. Ponce and Bucket. Ponce and Bucket. Bucket. That that works. Ponce and Bucket. (laughs) Right, so we need... I think we need two police captains. Yeah. Now, I had an idea for one, but he fits neither. Neither. (laughs) So I don't know if we either chuck him in or replace him with someone else. So I really like this actor, and I think he'd be a great police captain. Fred Williamson. Maybe he's like, could there be like a higher level? So there's government have recognised that whatever happened in this quaint English village needs to be addressed in Australia. And Fred Williamson plays basically the liaison to handle the extradition. And he has to go to the two captains and says, give me your best men. Yes, brilliant. Perfect. Okay. So let's do each other's captain. So you Perfect. do the Australian captain. Brilliant. And I'll do the English captain. All right, you go first. Um, okay, so I think the English captain yeah. is going to be almost exactly the same character. Right, okay. Like they, they are, they just get on... Because I, I like the fact that the quaint English region, everyone's exactly the same. Everyone's on speaking terms. Everyone's lovely. So, uh, who played the neighbour in The Good Life? Oh, uh, Paul Eddington. That's it. I think it should be him. He's not only the police captain of, of the village, he's also the vicar. Yes. Paul Eddington, yeah. Um, and he's like... I, I, 
Montgomery, I hope you don't mind me asking. <laughs> Apologies in advance, but I wouldn't mind if you went popping over to Australia, <laughs> back to the colonies. Yeah. Sort of had a bit of business. Well, of course, but... And it, their conversation just eventually becomes like white noise of that. <laughs> and clinking of China teacups. Uh, Michael Winner having a stroke. <laughs> He's playing polo in the background. He's <laughs> falling over. And he has, and he has a stroke. <laughs> Brilliant. What's he called? Oh, he's um, called. Would he be? He'd be. What is it? Uh, Detective Inspector. Yeah. What's the level up? Superintendent. Chief Commissioner. Chief Commissioner. Chief. Chief Commissioner. Chief Commissioner. Water biscuit. (laughs) Brilliant. Amazing. Crawford Water Biscuit. Crawford. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So I am gonna go. I'm gonna go. I don't know how many people I'm going to alienate and alienate with this one. Oh, good. But I am going to because it's Australia and a lot yeah. of Hollywood films dig into Australian soap operas, so Neighbours, Home and Away. <gasps> I, I am going to go for the actor who played Harold Bishop. So he's just a very kind of round, wobbly kind of man, glasses who walks around going. Yeah. Ah, 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 ah. He just looks like a kind of wobbly chinned. So I imagine he's yeah. always kind of just exasperated by Dougie, yeah. Dougie Bucket, just going, oh, I can't. Oh, no. um, but he's no one refers to him by a captain. He's just, everyone refers to him by either mate or his name. Yeah. Uh, Ian Smith is the actor's Ian name. Ian Smith. Um, Which I'm not sure I ever knew. And I am going to call him Kenneth Itch. <laughs> Kenny Itch. Kenny. So, I like the idea that that Paul Eddington's uh, Crawford Walt Biscuit is always calling um, Montgomery Ponce on a, you know, on the phone. Yeah. And they're having a lovely exchange, uh, and he's always like, "How's how's it going? Well, not too well, actually. Well, okay. Well, never mind. Keep 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 going. It's fine. Well, how's it going at home? Well, you know." Mrs. Barnaby fell off her bicycle and all that kind of stuff. Yep. But I imagine the dynamic between Itch and Bucket mm. is maybe a little bit more contentious. Yeah, they just shout. Or basically, just like he's um, Bucket is always like um, basically shouting like, "I'm off now. I'm off to do. Uh, I'm just going to arrest this." And he's like, "No, just you can't do that. You can't do that." He's like, "No, fuck it. I'm doing it anyway." And it's just this constant. <laughs> Okay, can I? Can, I like the idea that when um, Ponce gets to Australia, mm. he goes to see Itch. It's like yeah. I'm here to meet the person I'm going to liaise with. Bucket comes in, and the two of them are just like fucking shut up and sit down. And here we've got a guest, okay. and they really like swear, and they they clearly hate each other. Yeah. And Bucket says to Ponce, like the first stop is, can we go home mm. so I can pick up, and can. Bucket and Itch also live together because oh, yeah. they're brothers. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So yeah. they <laughs> they go to work and they just hate each other at work, but they actually live together. Um, and they live in the same place that is the police precinct. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah, and literally no. they just go down to the end of the lane. It's just this like, yeah. metal shack at the end of this kind of dusty lane. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Great. Okay, so what is then the crime that links these two countries... And who is our perpetrator? Who is our criminal? Both as in 
Well, I think there should be dual layer. There should be the the Jack Palance character and the Brian James character. There should be the henchman and the mastermind. I think the master... so we've got a character for each of them to go against. I think the mastermind is some sort of international. I think Jack Palance's character was never really shaded out. It was almost someone who just seems to run this cartel. No, he seems to run this cartel who who had lots of TV screens and access to lots of mice. So I think it's someone who runs some sort of international arms dealership or or he smuggles something. What could he smuggle? How about, I, I, I imagine there'd be something to do with land over there. Yeah. Like maybe he's found a mine. Yes. In in the outback that actually yeah. belongs to the indigenous people. Yes. But he's and the person was smuggling whatever they found in mine, diamonds or whatever. Yeah. Australian blood diamonds in the UK. And that's where the, the henchman can run the mine, like a Pat Roach character. And then this international person is overseeing the whole operation. Yes, perfect. Yes. Okay, so who's playing our our our, our mastermind? <sighs> I mean, Jack Palance is kind of... He's just very... He chews lots of scenery. So I think we need a scene chewer who could go yeah. up against Ponce and Bucket. <laughs> uh, who could we have? <gasps> go on. Go on. Oliver Reed. Oliver Reed, yes. Just a fully boozed up Ollie Reed. Or would he not... Red. Would he not be big, the better... Red. Oh. Would he not be the henchman? Would he not be the better mine henchman? Just like, well, like the only thing I like about the idea of Ollie Reed is that he doesn't have to do anything. He just shows up to work. They just park him on a deck chair, <laughs> put a beer in his hand, yeah. and he just sits and cooks and shouts lines he's made up into a camera for yeah. like two days, yeah. and then he's wrapped. Yeah, and perfect. Cut back to that. Perfect. Um, I like the fact he starts off in like a white man from Del Monte suit. Yeah, as the as we, every time we cut back to him, he's slightly more dishevelled. There's clearly a point where he's clearly fallen over and he's got dusty knees and stuff like that, and it just gets worse. And in the end, he's just sat in his pants and a vest. Can he turn up at the end scene wearing a, a small karate outfit? <laughs> that he's decided yeah. he thinks he's, he's someone's talked about a fight scene and he thought that involved him. So he's basically but, yeah. turned up in like a karate kid, Cobra Kai outfit. And yeah. he's like, he's just, he's, he, he, and you even see him in the back of the shot just doing that hand movements going, come on, come on. Yeah. So to make him formidable and to make him, because we said, you know, we have to have a villain for yeah. each of the two pe- our, our cops to go up against. They just have to put in the fact that he's got some kind of martial arts background. Yeah. And all that means is that every now and again, every he's sat in his deck chair, he'll see someone working the mine not not working hard, and he'll just throw a throwing star at them <laughs> and kill him. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Okay. So so then who's what's, our what's who's he our called? Henchman? What's he called though? Oh, um, I think it's Mister Something. I think. <laughs> I was going to say Mister Clunge. <laughs> Charles Clunge. Brilliant. And then who's our who's our henchman? Who's um, going to be? I'm tempted. I'm tempted. You know because obviously I like. Uh, Byron James, but I like Robert Zadar. I yeah. think we should make him the henchman. Yes, but he's dressed like someone out of Mad Max. He looks like totally just just he looks like Vernon Wells in Mad Max. He just looks fucking. Oh, we need to put Vernon Wells in there as well somewhere, don't we? He's Australian. Oh, but yeah, but well, yeah. Oh man, should we make it Vernon Wells? Oh, we've used him before, don't we? I see, but I don't think you can get away without him. 
I think Vernon Wells has got to be. It's got to be it. I mean, Rob, that doesn't mean that Robert Zadar, Zadar. How about Robert Zadar is the person at the start? Yeah. There we go. Oh, no. No, we'll keep it Robert Zadar. Yeah. He's the big henchman, right? So the film opens with a nice jewellery store. Yeah. In the quaint English village. Only the person visiting to sell diamonds to this place is Vernon Wells. Brilliant. Going full Bennett. Yeah, amazing. And when someone says, I'm sorry, I think there might be a... These these diamonds might be on the watch list. He freaks out and pulls a gun mm. for no reason. And that's when Tom Baker's passing on his bicycle. Yeah. And that ensues the... That's that's the opening action sequence. Yeah. So, does ha- does Tom Baker is he a shoot first, ask questions later, English gentleman, or does he like to adhere by the rules of? No, I think literally we expect him to adhere by the rules, and he just just fires a blunderbuss through the window, just shouting. He just t- he turns on a sixpence. He's like, ah, oh, yeah. polite. And he's like, fuck this, and it's just like, <laughs> boom. <laughs> just yeah. Yes. Yes. Then maybe he's got an outrageous anger management problem, but everyone's just too polite to do anything about it, and that's why they send him to a police. is like, do, 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 next time, do, dear boy, do, 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 do I just, you know, not, 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 not firing his blunderbuss and, and just killing so many innocent yes. bastards? Just, 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 just a bit of decorum. Perhaps you could, I don't know, have you tried firing it into the air first? I don't know. Or just maybe, use, maybe use, not a blunderbuss, just a normal handgun. Yes, or just just some harsh words, <laughs> dear boy. Yeah. Just no, 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 not to tell you what do your job, but yes, dear boy. <laughs> just lots of that, and he's, and but he, and he's just you see Tom Baker. I'm, I'm really sorry, I'm terribly sorry about that. Then, yeah. like a small child rides past on a bike, you just kind of <laughs> no, it's like fucking cunt. <laughs> <laughs> Just blows a big hole in the wall. <laughs> yeah. But then it, it goes from like oh, yes, him... Yes, that, that, that's, that's what I was talking about, Deboy. You can't do that. But then it goes... <laughs> you've... <laughs> you've, you've destroyed my decanter. <laughs> I just love this shot of like... This is tiny crime happening. And it's just, it's just like... You just see kind of like Tom Baker just shot him looking really kind of smart and composed... And next thing, he's just fired a blunderbuss. He cuts back to him, and his hair's up everywhere. He's just got this manic look in his eye. His shirt's ripped open. He's like, fucking have it. And then it cuts back to this kind of tea shop, and the window is hanging out. This is your women kind of sat there carrying, and just tea cups yeah. smashed everywhere. And he's like, dear boy, he, he, he just you know, stole a copy of the last week's newspaper. He's, uh, he's, he's I don't think it warranted that amount of force, did it? <laughs> Fuck it, can't. <laughs> Excellent. Yep. So there's a big shootout. Yep. There's the classic siege. That's normally a liquor store, mm. but it's a it's a little jewelry shop. Vernon Wells is there's a man in there picking a ring for his to be wife, and Vernon Wells has got the the wife by the neck, and he's like, "Let me out, or I'll kill her. I'll do it." Can it not and be pop- Vernon Wells who? It's not even. It's it's the most English thing in the world. It's basically he's stood in the post office queue too long. And it's yeah. just this really kind of he's just kind of looking at his watch and looking at the post office. So he's he's made the successful deal. Yeah. But he knows they'll find out. So he's got to mail off yeah. something. Mm. And he's in the queue and it's too long and he's it's really tense and he's sweating. He's like, if I don't get to the front of this queue, because there's an old woman in the front yeah. who's taking coins. If I don't get this letter, yeah. 
and he freaks out and takes a hostage. Yeah. Ponce comes in with his blunderbuss yeah. and just lets rip. Yeah. Um, he kills the hostage. Uh, she dies first as Ponce just unloads and she gets just blown up, blown away. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He just fires and destroys the post office in one shot. And you, you just see Paul Innes' character come along shaking with a piece of paper like, I, 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 do, I don't like to bother you, but I think you've just, you've just blown Mrs. Smithers' face to shit. I like the idea that there's a woman on the floor with like half her body missing yeah. and guts, and he's like with a pen and paper like, uh, could you tell me uh, <laughs> what you remember about the incident? Um, so anyway, he's, he's pat, like very politely dressing Tom Baker down, and that's when Fred Williamson arrives and says, "Look, you've unwittingly stumbled on this crime ring." Edison's like, "Well, we we should really, you know, we should really be involved in the uh, in the collar of this." And so Fred goes, "Well, we'll set you up over in Australia with our liaison." Could Fred Williamson enter the seat in the most American way possible? Like yes. you don't, ex- there's no like expectations coming. Literally, like he just that point, and Tom Baker just turned around. And there's like a little cricket game going, and all of a sudden, just a uh, monster truck flies over the top of this cricket game. Yeah, or a helicopter, or a monster truck <laughs> airlifted in by a helicopter. They drop it in. Yeah, and he drives up, and it's a little bit like Carl Weathers' entrance in Rocky Four. Yes, there's fireworks and shit. Yeah, yeah. So that, and Paul Edson's just well happy. Like Crawford Water Biscuit wants rid yeah. of uh, Montgomery Ponds. So Ponce goes off. Um, we get a little bit of him getting annoyed with un-British people on the airplane. Yeah. There's maybe someone next to him, like a, an American tourist, who's eating peanuts loudly and he just lays them the fuck out. Oh, it's got to be an old woman. It's got to be an yeah. old woman. I really yeah. like just obnoxious New, New Jersey woman. Like... Telling about his holiday, uh, their holiday. And he does. he just does what... John Matrix does. He just like bam and just breaks the neck. <laughs> <laughs> he lands and gets off, and he they land in basically a desert. Yeah, I like the idea that they it. The plane doesn't even stop. It lands, and he has to they just jump out and then it takes off again. Because <laughs> yeah. there's no airport. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and he just slides to a halt in the sand. Yep. And he looks up and he sees a pair of open-toed sandals. And as he looks up, there's socks with suspenders on. <laughs> yeah. Then a, these, then these very large shorts. Yeah. That the zip's undone, so it's yeah. just like a bit of shirt coming out, and then this stained, awful shirt, and then Barry Humphreys, who's just drooling, <laughs> just smiling and drooling at him. <laughs> I'm not going to do an Australian accent. Um, but I think he's, <laughs> he's got one of those hats that uh, straws. That he's drinking out of, and there's like three beer cans at the top of it. He's just drinking all three. Like yeah. Three straws in his mouth. Yeah. Although you assume that, but later you find out it's like uh, pig fat. <laughs> it's just meat juice. Yeah. And he shows into his car, and his car is basically just the framework on wheels and an engine. There's no panelling on it whatsoever. No. Um, it's like like a it's like you know the Chuckle Brothers bicycle yeah. car thing. It's like that. Uh, and there's a live animal in the back. Oh, as God, well. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think there's, um, there's a swimming pool in the back of it. There's like a little. He's, <laughs> he's hollowed out the boot and he's just full of water and there's like a crocodile or something sloshing yeah. about in there. <laughs> and uh, I think Tom Baker's in like a pinstripe suit at, suit at this point. Yeah. And he's got proper luggage. 
they drive off. We have the stuff <laughs> where he's shouting at um, his Captain Itch. Um, and then, so we do the local bar thing. Yes. Dear boy, is there any way I can get a drink around here? So off they go. And the bar <laughs> is just, he just takes him to a part of the land. Yeah. Where it's, they don't go inside a building. It's just another part of the desert. And there's some, there's like a bar and there's some bits of structure. There's an upturned car. Yes. And there's some bins on fire. And there's just, it's like a water tower, just a vat of something. Yeah. That's kind of not strictly liquid. It's quite viscous. And he just squirts it out into a metal bowl that they've found off the floor. And they, yeah. There you go. Um, and there is a bunch of kind of, Greasy thugs. Yes. And they're just like taking the piss out of Barry Humphrey's character. And there's no respect there. Yeah. It's like, yeah. are you going to allow them to talk to you like that? Um, and by that point, Barry Humphreys has passed out in a, you know, on the floor kind of thing. Yeah. Um, he's, he's passed out stood up. Yeah. He's literally stood up. Trousers have fallen down. And he's just yeah. slowly breaking wind for like three <laughs> minutes. <laughs> And I like the idea that, like, Tom Baker's like, it's about time. We've been away from the colonies for too long. Yeah. It's about time we bring a little bit of Britishness back. And he gives a big lecture to everyone. Yeah. And they all laugh. And he kicks the shit out of them. Yeah. He just goes um, fucking mental. <laughs> and then he picks up Barry Humphreys and he goes, that's how you deal with it. Why don't you do that with them? And he goes, because they're my brothers as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, lads, and they go up and they all yeah, <laughs> yeah. go back to his house. <laughs> Brilliant. Back at the mine, Oliver Reed's sat in his deck chair, throwing ninja stars at people, yeah. um, and just barking at the camera. And he knows the cops are in town, yeah. So he sends Zadar, who we haven't named yet. I think his character should have one name. Yeah. Um, um, what does he look like? I think he look. I think he wears lots of like diamonds or something not around his neck that the might you know for the mile like lots of kind of you know his, his his teeth are all made of like diamonds or something i'm i'm thinking going with the mad max aesthetic mm. but if liberace was in the apocalypse yeah yeah yeah. there's some feathers going on yeah yeah yeah, it's yeah a little yeah. bit fabulous fabergé <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> fabergé um so fabergé rounds up his men and he's going to town yeah. um, to deal with the cops. Now, this is going to be our central action sequence. Yeah. Um, obviously, we're going to have a big finale at the mine. So I think this should be uh, possibly like a Mad Max-style car chase. So they arrive in town. They demolish it. No one really notices because it's a shithole anyway. Yeah. And uh, Tom Baker's character, like Ponce, he's just annoyed at this and he pulls out the the blunderbuss whereas bucket he goes no no look at this and he goes into his other garage and he's got like a a converted muscle car kind of thing with spikes and shit all over it or or yeah. you just see um what's um ian old bishop's uh rusts you know his boss is like right come on now it's time to get this out and he pulls the tarpaulin off and basically, um, he's Harold Bishop's got this just souped-up dune buggy, like, and his yeah. like, "Where the fuck's this from?" 
and he's yeah. like, it's yours if you want. Um, and basically, he just hands this kind of ridiculous kind of dune buggy over to him. I, yeah. I'd like the fact that he, he um, Harold Bishop rides this buggy into shot. You just yeah. they do turn around and there's a, the sun and in this kind of hazy sunshine, you just see Harold Bishop riding towards him on this kind of souped-up dune buggy thing, like flames coming out the back of it. Yeah, it's got flames, and they do more damage than Zadar's. Oh, oh yeah, Jacques. absolutely. Um, and I think it ends with Fabergé killing uh, Captain Itch. Yep. So Ponce and Bucket don't get on. They've got difference in... Uh, Ponce fires his blunderbuss and blows the tyres out on Bucket's doom buggy, and he spins and crashes. Fabergé kills Itch and gets away. Yep. Fred Williamson arrives, and he's pissed. He's like, you guys are fucking this up. You're going back to England on the next flight. You aren't even a police officer anymore. Yep. And that's where they kind of, um, you know, get drunk together with all the boys. Yeah. They, it's it's Itchy's funeral. They basically just take his corpse and drop it down a hole in the ground. Yeah, like yeah. Down a well or something. Yeah. Um, and then Ponce and Bucket get pissed up and they're shooting off various cans on the thing and Ponce has got uh, his blunderbuss and Bucket has got like a... Uh, uh, like a double-barreled hunting rifle, like yeah. sawed-off rifle, and they're sharing guns and they're laughing, and like you know what, we know what we've got to do. Um, and they go, "Well, how are we did the June buggy's broken?" He goes, "Oh, the British way is always to make something out of nothing," and they go A-team style. Yep. And so we have a montage of the welding shit. They build a gyrocopter. Yes, they do. <laughs> Flying to the mine. Yep. Buckets in the gyrocopter. Yep. Ponce is dangling for a rope with his blunderbuss. Yep. And they're flying around, um, shooting things up. This wakes Reed out of his stupor. Um, and he goes and puts his karate outfit on. Pretty. Zadar is playing a grand piano. Yep. Because he's post-apocalyptic Liberace. He gets up. I don't know why. I've got this also thing in my head that, for some reason, Ollie Reed's got... You know, like, you're kind of... Uh, Jack Palance's got all these things knocking about his base. Do yeah. you remember in the TV show Gladiators, where mm. there basically was a there was there was a round where they got in like souped up hamster balls, and yes. they're basically metal cages. He's got loads of them knocking around. Mm. So basically, th- there's a scene where they all get in these kind of mad hamster balls, and just smash into each other. But they've got spikes on and, and all sorts yes. on, and it's just lots of kind of close up shots of just them running in these balls, and just smashing into each other. And Reed, yeah. Reed just sat there like clapping in his karate outfit. Yeah, and he go yeah. So he makes the people that work in the mine fight for his pleasure. Yeah, and he's like, "Your freedom and a and as many diamonds from the mine as you can carry for the first person that kills yeah. one of these two pricks." So all the people working go at them. Yeah, and even though they're there to save them, it's just Tom Baker and Barry Humphreys just kicking the shit out of all, you know, the the prisoners there. <laughs> blunderbussing them to bits Brilliant. they they throw some dynamite in and just collapse the mine in on everything <laughs> just close <laughs> it up um and out of the dust oh no and then they they turn around and they're surrounded and suddenly like there's this bombing like napalm strafe and when they look up it's fred williamson with a massive cigar La- uncle sam hat laughing out of a helicopter laughing because he's just changed his mind and turned up. Yeah. And that out of the flames is 
Oliver Reed in an ill-fitting karate outfit. Yep. And Robert Zadar in a post-apocalyptic Liberace outfit. Amazing. So who fights who? I think I think Tom Baker's got to fight Robert Zadar. Yeah, I think And so. I like the fact that he's like, um, Tom Baker comes up with like Queensbury rules or something. He goes, let's go Kensington rules and let's some elaborate fight. Like they have to be handcuffed yep. together. He goes, Kensington rules? And Robert Zadar nods. And he pulls out a suitcase and pulls out handcuffs. And then they've got uh, spiked maces. Yeah. Like, that's Kensington rules. And they're just twatting each other. <laughs> but they can't get can't get away. Whereas Humphrey's not a read. <laughs> they've shoved them in in shot and gone, just just fight each other. I think, I think you know, like Ollie Reed and Alan Bates, when they have the naked wrestle. <laughs> but they don't start naked. No. Nope. Uh, just at some point, <laughs> their trousers <laughs> fall around their ankles. <laughs> they can't. Yeah. They can't move the legs properly, so they just keep falling over and hobbling around. <laughs> and it's basically just them rolling around in sand, and it's just like two horrific naked samiads just coming out of sand, like <laughs> just just horrible, just sandy, blobby. <laughs> I like the fact we cut back to them at one point, and we only ever cut back to the same wide shot. And at one point. Just one is laying on top of the other, and they're just barely moving. <laughs> yeah. Are they enjoying it? Are they dead? We don't know. Yeah. Um, so Tom Baker bludgeons Zadar to death, um, to the point where he's just got Zadar's hand mm. on his... Uh, and he will say something like, I've got to hand it to you, dear boy. Um, and then... <laughs> Reed wiggles out from underneath Barry Humphreys... And he's like, you'll never take me alive. And they're like, we never intended to. And they both pull out their guns. Yeah. And they, he just explodes yeah. into a red mist. Um, and then, of course, cut to Paul Eddington, quaint English town. Yeah. You know, the most picturesque English kind of afternoon tea you could imagine. He's not moments from having left the gazebo when a monster truck drops on him. <laughs> And out of it is Fred Williamson, yeah. Fireworks, Uncle Sam hat, even bigger cigar. Yeah. Barry Humphreys falls out the back. Uh, Tom Baker slides on the bonnet, just chatting cunts. Yeah. <laughs> Firing his blunderbuss into the air. Um, Harold Bishop's corpse is on there. They've just took that yeah. with them. They've stuffed him. Yeah. And Paul Williamson's like, oh, what, what, what do I have explosion? You're like, we're back. And uh, it's time we took her the real criminal element and that kid on the bicycle runs past again and they just start chasing him down with a monster truck and the end is in the foreground this little kid riding really far while crying and in the back just out of focus is a monster truck chasing him and the three of them just screaming at the top of their lungs yeah absolutely yeah, brilliant amazing yeah um, we, we didn't kind of uh, cover uh, the musical motifs I was just about to say I think who right who who would do um, Bucket? Who who would you pick for Bucket for his motif? I think it would be brass band music rather than a particular artist. Any did- I think it'd just be trombones and trumpets. And- Any didgeridoo in there as well? Oh, definitely. Yeah, a mix of... Well, let's just say Rolf Harris. Let's just get the stereotypes yeah, out yeah, of the way. Yeah, yeah. wobbly boards and, yeah. and didgeridoos. <laughs> yeah. And some kazoo as well. And there's, there's part of it when they're, they're blowing in the kind of, you know, didgeridoo, and it's not sure if it's the didgeridoo or just flatulence. <laughs> yeah. Someone prolapsed in a recording studio. <laughs> wow. 
And yeah, I, th- I mean, what, what, who for Tom Baker? So I'm thinking for Tom Baker, like um, either sort of kind of jangly Chaz and Dave piano, mm. or just really, really kind of uh, dark synth. <laughs> Vangelis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fuck it, Vangelis. <laughs> Just, yeah, Vangelis was. They said to basically, look, we want your usual shit for Tom Baker. Yeah. But we want to experiment with traditional uh, Australian instruments. And he said, what do you mean? And they just shoved a, a like, you know, like in in primary school when they had a music class and they just yeah. had a bunch of random instruments. They shoved a trolley full of various things you blow into and bang and wobble. They go, do that for him yeah. and that for him. And at the end, Doing both at the same time. Yeah, and the, the last bit is they've combined both, and it sounds fucking awful. It's just it's almost just it's like an explosion in the music factory. It sounds terrible. Yeah. Like someone's driven a motorbike through a music shop. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't work on any level whatsoever. Yeah. And are we just going with Ponce and Bucket? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Ponce and Bucket. And tagline something like, "One's red, one's shit. Together, they're worse." <laughs> Ponce and Bucket. Good stuff. Well, I mean, as a first episode for season two, I think we've covered a lot of ground from uh, subtext to uh, rats in mazes to the very core of what makes a buddy cop movie correct. And having isolated that core, then pitched what theoretically on paper is the perfect buddy cop movie. Amazing. What more do you want? Well, all that leaves us to do is to open the massive flaps of our Justice 101 manual, our hypothetical guidebook to seeking justice in an unjust world, full of lessons we've learned exclusively from watching action movies. So what have we learned from Tango and Cash? Well, the thing I learned from Tango and Cash is that if you feel something about someone, don't keep it to yourself. Just, just let it out. Like I think, I think really, that film is about uh, like not unrequited, but uh, it's kind of like Remains of the Day in many respects. It's about repressed love. And I think if you, you know, and that's really what the action film is all about. It's the externalizing internal conflict. Um, And so that's my lesson. If you can't say what you want to say, blow up a petrol station, drive a car through a shopping mall, blow up a liquor store. Absolutely. That's the only other healthy way to express it if you you can't just get it on with the person you want to get it on with. Brilliant. Beautiful. I think my takeaway from it is if you want to make a point and you've got a, you've got you know either two fellow police officers or two stunned crime bosses and you're trying to emphasize a point and you want to bring that point to life spend as much money and time on making that point as possible even if it's a mm. quick point even if it's like you know you can't teach your grandmother to suck eggs 
and you wheel an old lady in and just shove eggs in her face. Even yeah. if you've got to, you know, expound on that, you know, or you, you know, yeah. whatever your analogy is, just show it. Just spend money and time on that Let, analogy. Act it out. Yeah, yeah. 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 There are plenty of uh, amateur dramatic societies that will help you. Um, plenty of, you know, um, colleges and schools that for a class project will make you something to illustrate that, you know, um, if you're just a starting out kind of person and don't have an empire to back up the kind of production value needed, you know, uh, a little goes a long way. Amazing. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to um, either compare gun sizes or penis sizes. If you're up for it. I'm going to put compare my penis size with your gun. Brilliant. Yeah. Doesn't bode well for me. Thank you.